This is the psalm that we will be looking through uh, this morning. I'm sure most of you will know, because most of you have been in churches most of your life, if not all your life, that the psalms are there in the middle of the Bible. It helps us to find them, doesn't it? We just open, and in the middle of God's word are the psalms. There's 150 psalms, and and, and probably, I would imagine, that Psalm 23 is the best known. It's so well known. It's it's, it's quoted, it's used, it's, it's been sung to, it's been modernized, it's been all manner of different things, but it is a psalm that people know very, very well. And for many people, it's a go-to psalm. It's a favorite psalm. It's a psalm that offers encouragement. It's a psalm that offers hope. But this psalm, we have to remember, was written probably about 3,000 years ago. And so much has changed in 3,000 years, and yet so little has changed in 3,000 years. Uh, sometimes if you, if you look into history and, and you read some literature from 3,000 years ago, it is interesting. It gives you an insight on what was happening then, but it has no relevance for today. But, but this psalm, although it's talking about and using picture language from so many years ago, it is extremely relevant for us here today, right now. David was a shepherd, but he probably didn't write this psalm when he was a shepherd. He probably wrote this psalm when he was older, more mature, and had been through lots of different stages of life, lots of different experiences. Probably written when he was a king, the king of Israel, and he was taking inspiration from when he was a shepherd. Now it's interesting, isn't it? Because David had this career. Yes, he starts off as a shepherd and ends up as a king. Now, if you're planning careers, that's the way to do it. Don't start as a king and become a shepherd. That's not the way you want it. That's a demotion, isn't it? But starting as a shepherd and going on to be a king, we in our minds would think that as being a a promotion. And then particularly in those days ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, shepherding was not a career choice. Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't be what you would be aspiring to come all the way from Africa to Cyprus to learn to be a shepherd. Yes, you, you would come to Cyprus to learn international relations. You come to Cyprus to learn diplomacy. You come to Cyprus to learn nuclear physics or doctoring, medicine I should say. You wouldn't come to be a shepherd. It's probably still the same now in many minds. And maybe in your cultures back home, the shepherd is like what the Egyptians thought of shepherds. It tells us in God's word when Joseph was there, the Egyptians despised shepherds. And it's always the youngest in the family that was a shepherd. And why was that? Well, that the firstborn would mature, and as soon as the next one came along, that dirty, smelly, difficult job was given down the line. And then the lastborn ended up with the dud job of being the shepherd. It wasn't wasn't sought after. It wasn't looked for. And the older sons would get involved with the, the plowing and the harvesting and the other aspects of the family business. And this is exactly what happened to David. David didn't put his hand up and say, I, me, me, choose me, I want to be the shepherd. It just happened to him. And Joseph's brothers got really, really annoyed with Joseph for many reasons, but I think one of the ones that was there was because he should have been the shepherd, and he wasn't. The the, the job that should have gone down to him, he didn't get it. He got a nice coat of many colors and had to go around and check up on them. And so, it makes us ask this question. And it's an important question for us to ask. Is why does the psalmist use the picture of a shepherd as an illustration for the Lord? Now, if you look in your Bibles, if you look uh, on, on your devices at that passage, 
It starts with the Lord, and the Lord is capitalized there. Yeah? And, and when the Lord's name is capitalized in the Bible, it is to differentiate between the original that's being used. And, and the word there is Yahweh. Yahweh, which means self-existent or eternal. And, and, and so 3,000 years ago, when the psalmist penned this, when the psalmist was writing the Lord, he was writing Yahweh, the self-existent, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternal one. And then he says, is my shepherd. The self-existent, the eternal one, is a shepherd. Do you get the paradox? Do you get what's been said here? On the one hand, the psalmist is talking about the Lord. And on the other hand, in the immediate breath, he's talking about a shepherd. And he's saying the Lord is the shepherd. In fact, he's saying the Lord is my shepherd. And for many back then, initially, that, that line just would not make any sense. How can this be that the Lord, Yahweh, the Great One, the Savior of the whole Israel race, the one who is the Jehovah Jireh, the provider, is here being likened to a shepherd? The lowest of the careers. Why is that? And it's because this word shepherd and what the shepherd does beautifully pictures the amazing relationship between the Lord and his people. There are two characters in this psalm. There is the shepherd, and that is the Lord. And there is the sheep who is the psalmist. And, and maybe one of the reasons that we like this psalm so much is it is extremely personal to the psalmist. If you just print this out or if you go through it and you highlight the word I, me, and my. That's all about the person. That's personal, isn't it? I, me, and my. They use 17 times. Over 10% of the words that are used in this psalm are I, me, or my. It is extremely personal to the psalmist. But as we read this psalm, because of the, the way it's written, and this I, me, and my, it so easily makes us feel not just that it was written for us, but it was actually written about us. I don't know if you've experienced that as you've read the 23rd Psalm, and I'd recommend you to try it, but to think of that not as the psalmist saying, I, me, and my, but you to think of it as I, me, and my. And I'm sure that's why this psalm is a blessing to so, so many, because they can see themselves in it. But just as the psalmist, just as we are drawn into this psalm, we have to remember that the emphasis is not on the I, the me, or the my, but the emphasis is on, and the beginning and the end of the psalm headline it, is the Lord. There's so much good poetry from, from that genre, and that time has it. It, it starts and ends with, with those same words, and it builds it all together, and there's mirroring going on throughout it. And the beginning and the end highlight and emphasize the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And at the very, very end, in the house of the Lord forever. The hero of this psalm is the Lord. The main point of this psalm is the Lord. But we get drawn into it. The psalmist is drawn into it because it's not just the Lord being the main point of the psalm, but it's what the Lord does for his people. So this psalm, this Psalm 23, is all about the Lord and what he does 
for his people. And so as we go through this psalm, I want to see what the Lord does for his people. And this morning we have uh, three main headings uh, to help us through. And so the first heading that I've got, it starts at the very beginning. It starts with that, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the heading I want to put to this is our salvation. What does the Lord do for his people? He saves them. Our salvation is there. Now, you may not think that that's readily, immediately uh, what that verse is saying, but I want you to just to come through this with me and see why I want us to see at the beginning what the Lord does for his people is our salvation. That verse, that line, is so often used out of context. And people say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then they bring a need list and a want list to God. I want my diploma. I want my masters. I want my wife or my husband. I want my million pounds in the bank. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And friends, if you think this verse is a blank check for God to give you what you want, you're wrong. It's not that. We only truly, truly, truly have a need, a want, when we do not have the Lord as our shepherd. Yeah? So you, you, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you do not have the shepherd, you shall want. Put it the other way, yeah? You see that? See what we're saying here? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But if the Lord is not your shepherd, you shall want. And so, if you haven't got the Lord as your shepherd, nothing else in this life will satisfy you. If you haven't got the Lord as your shepherd, there will be a perpetual, ongoing want and emptiness and void in your life. The wise man of Ecclesiastes put it like this. He used a, a, a word there, which is heval, which means vapor, or maybe translated in your Bible as vanity. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, you hear this, this saying, vanity, vanity, or emptiness, or emptiness, or, or vapor, vapor. Have you ever tried to catch smoke? Vapor as it comes up. Have you ever tried to catch? You can't catch smoke. And looking for happiness in this world without the Lord as your shepherd is like trying to catch hold of smoke. And maybe some of you here today or some of you online, you are desperately chasing after things and you're wanting meaning in life and you're wanting success and you're wanting riches and you're wanting happiness and, and you're chasing after these things. And maybe some of these things come your way and maybe you think, well, I've got my PhD now and I'll be satisfied. And then in a few days, years time, you will look at that certificate on your wall. And it will be like smoke. It will be real. It will be a blessing. It will help you in your employment. But it won't fill your life. Because the only thing that will fill your life is the Lord being your shepherd. It's only when you have the Lord being your shepherd that you shall not want. And so we need to ask ourselves the question. How can the Lord be our shepherd? How can we get to this position that Psalm, the psalmist did? How can we get to this position that David did when he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How do we get there? And we have to really understand what our deep, deep need is in this life. And our deep, deep need is not success and riches. 
Our deep, deep need is not the happiness that this world can give because if that's what we're trying to grasp, it's like grabbing smoke and it will never, never, ever satisfy. Just the other day, I asked a friend of mine, he's a youngster, he's, he's coming up the ranks of being a shepherd. He wants to be a shepherd. That's his career. And so I'm going to apologize because he's probably going to be listening now. And I've just dissed shepherding. But he knows that I, I, my feelings of a shepherd is someone needs to be called to that work. Sheep are dumb. No, sorry, they're not well. Sheep are hard work. Shepherding is a difficult, difficult thing. But I asked him, I said, what's the most caring thing you've seen a shepherd do? Uh, I WhatsApped him this in the week. And, and he came back to me and he said, well, there were some sheep drowning in a river in midwinter in England. Now, you've had a little bit of a cold snap in Cyprus, yes? And I, I appreciate that. But let me emphasize in midwinter in England. Yeah, this is serious, serious cold. And there was nothing these sheep could do to save themselves. They were in the river and they were drowning. And that's, what, that's where they were going to go. And so this shepherd, he stripped off his clothes down to his boxes or his underpants or whatever you call them in, in your culture. And he got into this freezing cold water and he swam out and he saved the sheep and he brought them back. That is what the shepherd does. You see, we are drowning in our sins. We come into this world and we are born in sin. And every single one of you here and you're online, you have sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. And if you say, I have not sinned, you're a liar and that's your first sin or your first of many sins. In, in fact, the Bible takes it further. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our sins. You see, those sheep in that water, they were drowning. And if my friend and, and the shepherd hadn't intervened in that situation, they were dead. They were as good as dead. And spiritually, where we all naturally are as we come into this world, we are spiritually dead. We are without hope. Those sheep couldn't save themselves. Sheep are daft. If they get turned upside down on their backs... They can't get back over. Well, certainly the big fat English sheep. And then you'll see them in the field with their legs wiggling in the air. And they can do nothing about it. And they need a shepherd to come along and turn them over and save them. And so whether you're in the sea, river drowning or whether you're just turned on your back upside down, a sheep needs a shepherd to save them. And friends, we need a savior. We need a shepherd to save us. And, and the great story of God's word and the truth of eternity is the self-existent eternal one is the good shepherd. Unlike David, who was the shepherd who became king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, stripped himself of his glory and came to this world and he came to this world as the good shepherd. And as we read that passage in John 10, in verse 10, it tells us this. He came that they may have life and have it in abundance. God's word tells us that we are dead in our sins. But the good shepherd came so that we could have life and we could have life more abundant. And this is what the good shepherd said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus gave up his life on the cross. Jesus said, not my will be done, but God's will be done. And God's will was for the wrath that our sins deserve was put on Christ. And in that moment on the cross, when Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sins of all God's sheep was laid upon Jesus, and Jesus paid the price. 
Jesus paid the price for the sins of his people. And every one of you here this morning and every one of you here online this morning who's called on the name of the Lord, who's come to him and said, I have sinned and I have fallen short of your glory. Will you forgive me? Will you take me and make me yours? All of you that repent and have believed, you are his sheep because of what he did for you on the cross. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. But the reality and the challenge is this morning is the Lord is not everyone's shepherd. And in this room and online and as people listen to this later, we are divided into two. We're divided into two groups here this morning and it's not male and female. It's not tall and short. It's not black and white. Those aren't the groups. None of those things matter. The grouping is this. Those that know the Lord as their shepherd. And those that don't. And as this psalm is full of comfort and full of blessing and full of encouragement, that comfort and blessing and assurance is only for those who know the shepherd. So is the Lord your shepherd? You you need to search your heart this morning and ask yourself this hugely important question because we cannot save ourselves and our salvation can only be through Christ, the good shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd. And if you're there thinking, I'm not sure, then pray till you know that you are sure. And if you're there thinking, I want him to be, ask him to be, because that's what his word has told us. If we ask, if we call, if we repent, he will save us. And if you're just saying to yourself, no, he's not my shepherd. And if you're rebelling against the shepherd, thinking, I want all this other stuff, just think, do you really want to be grasping smoke for the rest of your life? Because the stark reality is, in the picture language of God's word, you'll be living eternity in smoke. The smoke of hellfire the smoke of judgment, the smoke of eternal punishment for the sins that you committed. That's what we all deserve. But those of us that are trusting in the good shepherd, he has paid that price. Turn to him now. Give up your running after the vapor, after the smoke. Come to the Lord. And so our first point is our salvation. The second point is this shepherd is our care now. Our care now. And we see this in verses 1, or the end of verse 1 through to verse 5. And and the psalmist sets out five different ways the Lord cares for his sheep now. And the one that we know so well is that one after the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The shepherd provides. And the shepherd provides what they need. The sheep need still waters. The sheep need food. Sheep need the shepherd to safely provide them with food and drink. We bumped into our local shepherd yesterday on a short walk we were going for. Now our shepherd looks after goats, so you'll have to forgive the fact that he wasn't looking after sheep, but it's the same, same principle. And, and he was just telling us that the, uh, the rain and the sunshine caused a bit of problems because some of the wrong stuff is growing. And he wants the, big st- the right stuff to grow more. And he has to be careful where he leads the sheep, or the goats in his situation. Because if he takes them some places, they could eat stuff that's bad for them. 
And the good shepherd, the shepherd, the Lord shepherd, he takes his sheep and he takes them to where the good food is. He knows what is right for them. He knows what is good for them. And he takes them there and he takes them to those pastures and he lets them feed in those pastures. Again, if the sheep drink from the wrong water sources, it's dangerous. Those, those muddy little puddles and pools are full of parasites. They're full of the wrong things. And, and what the sheep needs is clear, clean water. And if the water's flowing too fast, what happens to these sheep? They end up in the river, and it's a problem. They need still water. And you see, the good shepherd, the shepherd knows what the needs of the sheep are. And, and this psalm works in two ways. I'm sure that the Lord knows our physical needs and provides for our physical needs. And so you can thank God for your jollof rice. It's God providing your physical needs. You can thank God for your plain rice because it's God providing your physical needs. In fact, you should thank God even when it's just ekmek. Because that bread has been given by our shepherd. But more wonderfully, what happens is the shepherd provides our spiritual needs. And he looks after us spiritually. He's turned us from being dead spiritually to being alive. And so as he knows our spiritual needs, he provides for us. He's given us his word. He's given us local churches. He's given us pastors and friends. He's given us the ability to worship and fellowship. He's given us books and online sermons. And these things he has given to us, his sheep, so that we may be provided for. And it links very much with the next sub-point. He restores. You see... These everyday blessings restore us. We, we, we eat food and it restores us. We drink cool water on a hot day and it restores us. We have a good night's sleep and it restores us. And these are things that God gives us, his everyday blessings to us. But also spiritually. Spiritually, he lifts us up, just like a drink of cold water on a hot day. The psalmist knew the Lord restoring him. He restores my soul, and he'll restore your soul. He'll restore your soul by blessing you in the service, by speaking to you through his word, by blessing that worship song, that hymn to you, by, by speaking to you through the Bible, the online sermon, by your friend getting alongside you. He restores our souls. Every now and again, when our children were around, they, they would come home from school and you could just tell they needed feeding. And so Rachel could give them a, a, a plate of lovely food. And, and that lovely food would be nourishing and good for them, and it would help them. But it would only be any good to them if they ate it. Yeah? The Bible will not restore you if you don't open it. You need to read it. The shepherd is saying, look, here, take it. But you need to read it and study it. The local church will not refresh you if you don't come to it. And I know that many of you are online because you have to be there. You can't be with us. But if you can be with us, you need to be with us because that's how you are refreshed. Being with your brothers and sisters. A sermon won't speak to you if you're not listening to it. A sermon won't speak to you if you are up till four or five in the morning watching a series, thinking that you can just come into church and sit there and it'll all be good. You don't take a sermon in by osmosis. You have to listen to it. You need the Holy Spirit to help. You need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. So the Lord does restore our soul, but I want to just put a little emphasis here on the fact that we have a responsibility. God will do it. 
But we need to make sure that we are doing and using the blessings that he's given to us. And that links very much with he guides us. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So many of you here, and I'm sure it's the same with you online, you, you, you want God's guidance. You want to know what to do next. So many times we're asked that question, what is God's will for me? Well, the first step of doing God's will and doing what is right by God is here in this psalm. The shepherd only leads the sheep in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The only way his sheep, the only way those of you here that are believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior is righteous ways. So if your path is not on, or if you are being tempted to go an unrighteous way, that is not the shepherd leading you. The shepherd will only lead you in paths of righteousness. There are lots of unrighteous paths for you to take in Cyprus. They're out there, and they're attractive. And you cannot say, I'm going to make money illegally, and it's righteous. It's not. It's illegal. It's wrong. And God's not going to lead you in unrighteous ways. Apparently, there are some churches on this island, and they are blessing business practices that are not business practices. They are Yahoo practices. They're scammers. And the pastors, so-called, a blessing people's money and saying, drop your ties there and you will make more money. That is unrighteousness and never ever will the Lord lead you in unrighteousness. And so if any of one of you has been tempted into that so-called industry of scamming, it is not the Lord's way of righteousness. He's not going to lead you in that. If the way that you make money is illegal or immoral or nearly illegal... It's a gray area. It's not the area of righteousness, and the Lord is not leading you in it. I'm only sitting exams for somebody else and getting paid for it. It's lying. It's illegal. It's unrighteous. It's not God's will for you. I'm, I'm only pouting and, and, and just being semi-suggestions in my photos that I'm selling online. I'm not showing my whole self off. I'm not doing something hardcore. It is all wrong. It is all sin. It is never the righteous way. It's not God's will. God's will is only his righteous way. I'm dating a non-believer. It's not the righteous way. It's not God's will for you. God's will is for God's people to date and marry God's people and nobody else that's a righteous way and we could go on and we could go on looking at this but why is this so important you see the lord leads you in the right way for his name's sake when you become his child you become his sheep up in yorkshire where philip abbey comes from there are loads of sheep there probably millions of sheep there up in yorkshire and they run on the hills and the mountains. And the shepherd puts a mark on them so he knows which is his. And not only can he call his sheep and they come to him, you also visually can see a mark. It'll be a particular color dot somewhere on them. And you'll know that they're his. You see, that this is it. If we are the Lord's, we have his mark on us. And if we're not living by that mark, we are bringing dishonor to his name. And so there is a wonderful sense this psalm is, is telling us that he leads us in paths of righteousness. But it's a huge responsibility because of why he's doing it. And if you are not walking in paths of righteousness, you're going against his name. Think about that. You're going against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're reverting back to what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. 
And so although this is a great delight and encouragement to us, it's also a huge, huge responsibility. And immediately after this responsibility of, for his namesake, what else does the, the, the shepherd do for us? He protects us. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Picture language of, of deep, deep darkness. There's some valleys that you will go through in some parts of the world, and the sunshine just doesn't get to them because of the, the angles and, and the rest of it. It's just dark, and, it, and it's dangerous. And then the picture language that the psalmist is painting, and maybe he has in his mind's eye somewhere where he went with his sheep. And he needs to get his sheep to the pastures. He needs to get his sheep to the safety. And so as he takes the walk through there, he is in that dangerous place. If bandits came, it would be dangerous. If rocks fell off the side, it would be dangerous. If, if this or that happened, it would be dangerous. And, but the, the reality is, the psalmist is saying, I can walk through these situations and I will fear no evil. This is not the prosperity gospel. Because what this verse is telling us is there are times in your life as a Christian you will walk through dark places. And some of you have been in those dark places. And you know them. And this really helps us to answer the mess that this real life is in this fallen world. That this fallen world that we live in is full of the valley of the shadow of death. Cancer, illness, tsunamis, earthquakes, famines, road traffic accidents, COVID, unemployment, redundancy, abuse, persecution. The list can just go on and on and on. And I'm sure if you look back into your own lives, you can see where you have walked through dark times. And more than likely, you shall carry on and walk through darker situations and the psalmist is not saying you'll be taken out of these and everything will be butterflies and roses and pink fluffy clouds no we're not even shielded from them but what is the reality is the lord is with us in them you say he says even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil why david you're not going to fear evil you're in this awful situation it's a horrible situation it's messy it's difficult it seems like there's no end to it why are you not fearing because the lord is with me that's the difference that is a huge difference. You can carry on going because the Lord is with you. The same Lord that takes you in the pastures green. The same Lord that gives you the, the, the water from the still waters. The same Lord that means you, you won't have to want anything. The same Lord that has dealt with all your sin. He is with you and he will take you through it. A, a while back... The, uh, the children and I were in North Wales in England. We're in a mountainous area, and we went on this mountain climb walk thing that was by guides. And you had to clip yourself onto these ropes and onto these wires and, and walk through great dark valleys. And it seemed dangerous. But what happened was the guide led us through. He went before and as he went and clipped himself on and went across you, oh, it's safe. He can do it. And you see, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing for us. He is leading us through these things. He's not leaving us to them. He is there leading us. He's gone before us. Every single trial and difficulty and temptation that you may ever come across, Jesus has been through it. Every suffering you could possibly imagine. Jesus has been there. He's done it. And so he's going before us and he is there with us. And we do not have to fear. And more than that, 
we can be comforted in the challenge and the difficulty because as the psalmist said, your rod and your staff, they come for me. Picture language again. What good is a rod and a staff? Well, in those days with sheep and what was going on, they were a huge blessing. We, we, we may sort of think of it, this as being the uh, Apache attack helicopter and an AK-47. Yeah, the, the, the shepherd is loaded, he's armed, he, he, can, he can look after you. That's what it's saying here. The, 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 the rod and the staff are sometimes thought as tools of discipline. And it, and it can be true, but I think the context here has got far much more to do with the protection of the sheep. Yes, the Lord sometimes needs to discipline us to bring us back. But what we're seeing here is the rod and the staff, they are comforting us because they are the shepherd's tools to protect us. The rod is like a a policeman's club, a baton. It was often made of oak, heavy wood, and very often had a a, a knotted knobby bit on the end, and it was just used to, to hit whatever was attacking the sheep. It was probably the rod that David used protecting his sheep from wild animals we read about in, in 1 Samuel 17, 34-36. And then the staff was slightly different. The staff was uh, a stick. It was five or six feet long. It was sometimes, not, but often had a little crook on the end. Uh, and it was used as a cane or a walking stick. And it was used to, to handle the sheep, to make sure they were going in the right direction. Yes, a bit of... Uh, of uh, discipline there, put them in the right way, but for their protection. And in reality, discipline from God, which is to make us more like Christ, is for our protection. And so what the psalmist is saying is God is our shepherd, has everything to protect us in the darkest of situations. And let's take a step back. This shepherd, our shepherd, is the creator of everything. He's a God that owns everything. He is the all-powerful. He, he brought the world into existence in six days. Everything that we know is known by him, and everything that we don't know is known by him. He never makes a wrong decision. He always has the right answer. He is in control of everything. And this Lord is with you in your deepest, darkest nightmare. And when you look back on your life into your dark situations, you can see his hand upon it, enabling you to get through. So I don't know what your deepest, darkest nightmare is, but you will have one. There will be something in the future, something that you are fearful of, something that you don't like. Maybe it's the death of a loved one, and some of you have been through that. Maybe it's serious pain and suffering. Maybe it's something as as, as simple in some people's minds as a toothache. Maybe we're fearful of persecution, loss of income, loss of wealth, loss of family, loss of whatever it is. And the Apostle Paul addresses it in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trial, tribulation, distress, or persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And the passage goes on in verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. The rod and the staff, they come for us. Your worst nightmare, God's got it. It cannot be bigger than him. Your worst enemy, God's got it. He's in control of it. He protects us. And then fifthly, we see here that he pampers us. It may seem a bit strange. I'm not even sure it's the right word to use, but I'm using it to, to get this point across. Verse 5, it says, You prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows we get totally and utterly more than we deserve from God. Yes, we'll go through bad and difficult times. But David was in very different times to ours, and the picture language is different, and enemies were a problem to him. And here is he is saying that the Lord is allowing him to eat a meal in the presence of his enemies. God is giving him true peace. True peace is the peace that 
Only God can give. And so even when our enemies are around, we can eat happily and satisfied. Because God is bigger than our enemies. Being anointed with oil is a picture of being chosen. David, you could say, oh, he's chosen in a special way to be king. No, this is being chosen. We are chosen by God. We are God's anointed. Each of us here who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior is because we are his chosen ones. And a cup overflowing is, is a picture language of abundance. When we have too much of something to contain it, and you may say to yourself, well, I haven't got enough of this or that or the other. Friends, look at the joy of your salvation. Look at what God has really done for you. Don't, don't look at what God hasn't done for you through the eyes of this world. The eyes of this world will say you have nothing because it judges by the wrong standards. But when you look the right way, the only thing that you can do is step back and say, my cup is overflowing. Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, came to this world to die for my sins and make me right with God. When you think of that, how can your cup not be overflowing? We are pampered by our eternal God. But then we move on from that third point, which is the big long one, to, to our closing point, which is, which is much shorter. And we see that our shepherd is our eternity. When we are living for this world, all that we're clutching at is smoke. And the only certainty that we have is death. That's the only certainty we have in this life. And we may think we can get this, we may think that we can have that, but we're just grasping and clutching at smoke. But those that know the Lord have certainties in this life and certainties in the life to come. And as the psalmist says, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And this is the fulfillment of the Lord being with us. The reason he takes care of us, the reason he looks after us, the reason he protects us, the reason he pampers us is because of his goodness and his mercy. We don't deserve any of that. We deserve his wrath, but because what Christ has done, we receive his mercy in this life. And we experience his goodness in this life. And we experience this goodness and mercy in ways beyond what this world is looking for. As you know, this last few weeks, Rachel and I have personally been with those who are going through the valley of the shadow of death. A young widow living without the reality of her husband for the rest of her days. A young family living with the reality that their father and their provider is no longer here. A mum and dad looking on at their son who is no more. And it's real. And it's nasty. And it's bitter. And it's darkness that you can feel. But at the same time, as we've been going through them with this, we've experienced God's goodness and mercy in remarkable ways, in ways that can only be given by the shepherd. You see, this is it. What comforts in the darkness of darkest times, no matter how dark the thing gets, our friends have been holding on to the fact as David did then, they shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, in the darkest, deepest moment of this life, the light has not gone off. Because this life is not the light. The light is yet to come. The light is the glorious eternity that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope that we have is that I shall dwell. Get that, it's a certainty. David didn't say, I hope. If you ask someone, they're going to heaven, they say, I hope so. You need to work with them. I shall. 
This is David. He said, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. And when my friends' lives are falling to pieces around about them, when I was lost with words not to know what to say, we looked forward and we remembered that I, that any of you here that are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Their pain was real. And, and, and there's, there's those of you here that have lost loved ones too. And you know that that pain is immense and almost too much to bear. But when you lost a loved one who was with the Lord, you know that one day you're going to be with them too. And if you've lost a loved one who is not with the Lord, that's a different pain. But what we also know is that we are not the judge and God is. And also what we do know is heaven will be perfect no matter who else is there or isn't there. Because as the revelation says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And there shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Friend, I want to ask you a question. And it's the only question that will let you get through the darkness. Is your eternity and I shall? Is your eternity and I shall? And the reality is, everyone's eternity is an I shall. Because everyone will have an eternity here. So the right question is, is it the I shall of this song. Can you leave here this morning saying, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about that now. Pray about that now. You see, the only way to have the assurance that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever is if you can say with the psalmist at the beginning of that psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And if you can't say either of those things, friend, do it now. Ask the Lord to save you. Ask the Lord to bring you to that position. And for those of us that do know it, may we give thanks and praise him. I just want to give you a few moments to think about that question and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and your thoughts and how this should be applied to you right now.